Do you guys believe in Santa? Who here believes in Santa? All right. I'm not the only one. That's a good thing. That is a good thing. My favorite thing is to wake up Sunday morning and look for the gift Santa got me. I go up, wake up early, turn on the Christmas tree lights, get a warm cup of coffee, then search all the packages looking for my name. And then when I find one, I shake it to find it, figure out what's in there as hard as I can. And I just can't wait. I love when Santa gets me gifts. But the funny thing is, his handwriting looks just like my mom's. <laughs> kind of odd. But since I've been married, it's changed over to my wife's. I still don't understand it. But no, in all seriousness, to me, Christmas really has become so much more enjoyable now as a parent than when I was a kid. I love when you get that right gift for your kids, seeing the joy in their faces when they open it up. Truthfully, I love them. And because I love them, because I love them, I enjoy enjoying their joy. Because I love them, I enjoy enjoying their joy. But I do not like, I do not like getting gifts for myself. I don't like it. I really, it's a weird feeling opening up a gift you know you've paid for. I really don't like that. <laughs> Especially if it's just a gift to get a gift. Well, you have to have a gift for yourself under there. That's not a gift. That's a forfeiture of income. I don't like that. And I hate how advertisers schnooker your wives into buying you stuff. We have the perfect Christmas gift for the man who has everything. It isn't that the man has everything. They just hate spending their own money to get something for themselves. That's not a gift. Let me explain to you how to give a gift. I'll explain to you the process of gifting. It's very complicated, so listen really closely. Like I said, a gift is not a gift if you buy it for yourself. Very key. It just isn't. You might think that you know how gifting is done, but when it comes to Christianity and faith and belief in Christ, people quickly forget how to receive a gift. They think they buy his love for themselves. First of all, in the gifting process, you need a gift giver. A giver doesn't give a gift because they're compelled to give the gift. You know, since Susie got a gift, I better get her one. Or, oh boy, I got a Christmas card in the mail. I better go out and print 500 Christmas cards to give them to my 500 favorite friends or they'll hate me. That's not a gift. Gifts are best given and most sincere when the gift is given out of voluntary love. Love causes the heart of the giver to initiate the act of giving. That's the beginning of the gift. Second thing, you need a receiver who is willing to take the gift. A gift is not really enjoyed if the gift isn't received and opened. But here's the most important part of the receiver, and you need to listen very closely. Receiving a gift is an action, but it's called a passive action. You can never take credit for receiving the gift. Johnny, I know that ring cost you $1,000, but I was the one who received it, opened it, and I put it on my finger. I should get some kind of credit for that. Jesus died for you on the cross. How dare you think you did anything to deserve it? 
So, if you think you know how gifting works, let's look how the Bible talks about it. Especially how it worked through biblical history. It's very interesting. We're continuing in our Genesis study. And don't worry, Christmas lovers, I promised you a Christmas message. This is, but it's going to take time to build to it so you get the full effect. So open up to Genesis 12, verses 1 through 6. This story is about the, capital T, gift. This is the gift. Starting in chapter 12, 1 through 6 of Genesis. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your kindred, your father's house to the land I'll show you. We talked about that last week. Now we get to the reason why. It's the gift. Starting in verse 2. And I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you. And make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went, as the Lord told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered in the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land, the place of Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. That's where we're going to stop. What I believe we have just read is the most important promise in the whole Old Testament. Specifically, verses 2 and 3. Those are the most important words to me in the whole of the Old Testament. There are literally a hundred references, if you scroll through the Old Testament, that refer back specifically to this, that are often mentioned on the words of David, Solomon, and the prophets. Isaiah talks about it. Jeremiah talks about it. This is the promise. And the New Testament is the fulfillment of this promise. This promise is a gift God wants to give to Abraham and to Abraham through Abraham to you via Abraham. This is your gift as well. It is given, however, in the shadow of Babel. You need to understand the context, understand the the significance of this gift. Remember Babel from two sermons ago? Actually, it's in chapter 11, just one chapter before. Turn there, Genesis 11. You need to see what's going on because this is given in the context of Babel. And it will start making, oh, oh, I see. The world after Noah started filling up. God told them to separate, but they didn't want to. Instead of dispersing, they came together under Nimrod's lead in the area of Babel, and they decided to build a city and a tower. They wanted to stick together. And verse 4 reveals their motive why they did this. Genesis 11:4. look really close at the motive. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Remember that? from two weeks ago? Let us make a name for ourselves. You're probably wondering, what does this have to do with 
Abram. Well, you've got to follow really closely. What is happening in 11 verse 4, more than anything, is the very first declaration of independence statement. We don't want God, we don't need God, and we can live independent on our own from God. We don't need Him. And they believe that so much so, they're going to build this tower to just show their own ability, to make a name for themselves. This, my dear friends, if we are going to use it as a, analogous to Christmas, is like buying a gift for yourself. It snubs God, cuts them off from his life, and his love. It's like when you give your girlfriend a diamond ring and you ask her for engagement. She says, I don't want that. I don't want you. That's what Babel is. It's a snub. And it reveals a heart of independence. Trying to go it alone without God. That is the essence of sin. The essence of sin is independence. It's wanting separation from the life giver himself. Now I want you to note this phrase real closely. The first thing it says, let us build, let us build. It's kind of like we will do this. Let us build, we will do this. And first of all, like I said earlier, that's not the statement of a receiver. That's the statement of a doer. It's akin to the person who says, all you need is faith to be saved. That seems too easy. I've served God. I've given to the poor. I've done so much for him. Faith alone, bah humbug. It's not receiving. And then the second phrase, we can make a name. They are not making a tower because they are bursting for love, for God. They are arrogant. They are proud. They are can-do Americans. They wear all the right clothes, buy diamonds at Tiffany's, have a living room and garage full of new toys, vacation in Vail, and they don't need God. Why pray? I got everything I need. So I'm going to say it like this. Babel is a metaphor for every self-made man and woman. That's what Babel is. The person who needs nobody. I'm going to make it on my own. And most of all, who doesn't want God's love, who doesn't need it, push him away. Now let's go to chapter 12 and watch the difference. Watch the complete difference. Remember the statement of chapter 11 is we will make it ourselves for our name. So you get to chapter 12, and God says in verse 2, I will make you a great nation. It's utterly opposite. Exact opposite. And I want you to notice two things. First of all, God is the gifter. He initiates to Abraham out of love. He says, I will six times. I will. Look at I, verse 2, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. Verse 3, I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. And through you, I, all the families of the world will be blessed. I'm going to do this. I will. Babel said, we will. God says, I will. God loves to prove his ability. I believe this statement in chapter 12, 2 and 3, God is taking the Babel challenge. He is guaranteeing, I'm going to do better than they did. I'm going to take one man and make the world proud of him and me. God loves to prove his ability. That's what prayer is all rooted in. God says, ask. Ask me and you'll receive. Seek me and you'll find. Knock and the door will be open. 
He wants the world to know he can do anything. Maybe one of the reasons he doesn't answer prayers, we often pray for the things to make our name great alone. God, just give me this. But if prayer is rooted in his name so he can prove his ability, oh man, he loves to answer those kind of prayers. Second thing, the gift he promised Abraham is the exact gift Babel wanted to achieve for themselves but couldn't. It's actually deep down what we all want. We all want recognition and success. It's how we've been designed. The, the issue is how do we get there? How do we get there? We all want success and recognition. It's not a wholly bad thing, but God will give the gift on his own terms. If you notice, everything that is given to Abram is what they wanted, but the point is to come back to God. He says, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So he is going to bless Abram but it's so they know he did it. He's doing this. It's all about God's greatness. To me, he's actually snubbing the heart of Babel by giving to Abraham. But he's not doing this to win as much as he's doing it because he wants to show the world he loves them. He loves you. That's exactly what Babel failed to see. That's what the person who doesn't want him fails to see. He does things out of love. It's like giving gifts to your kids on Christmas. You don't give your gifts kids on Christmas because you want to rule them. You want them to know you love them. So you can, he gives to us so we can share in his joy. He enjoys enjoying the joy we get from receiving the gift. But the question I would say for Abraham had to pose this, but can I really trust you? You know, here's one man Babel is a whole nation. Just one man. This promise to us isn't really as impressive as it must have been because number one, we pretty much have everything we want as Americans. Abraham was desolate. He was poor. He was a wanderer. And we have read this probably, if you've been around the church, you've probably read this verse hundreds of times and you're, you're kind of used to it. But put yourself in Abraham's shoes a second. Seriously, you have, to, you have to meld into the verse to really understand what is going on. Abraham's 75. He's no longer at home. His wife can't have kids. He has a nephew. Lot is wimpy. He's a wimp. And you'll see that later. And his dad just died. So picture this if you can. Here's how I imagine. I tried to imagine it. One night, Sarah went to bed early. She was probably feeling sorry for herself, or she was angry at Abram because he demanded they leave the one city where the fertility doctors were in Haran. So they, she's mad. He's not the man he thought he was. Lot's probably playing Candy Crush on his iPhone in his tent. Well, they probably didn't have Candy Crush on iPhones back then, so he's playing with sticks. That's what wimpy nephews do in his tent. Abraham leaves his tent with Sarah after their argument, breathes a heavy sigh, goes outside and sits next to a fire. He's rather depressed, looking up into a bright night sky. 
There are no city lights, so the stars are twinkling away like a canopy of sparkling jewels. As he stares at the Big Dipper, he contemplates the meaning of life and his personal worth. Who am I in this vast expanse of nothing? I know he's thinking this because I think this when I walk my dog at night. I think you think that as you drive down a highway in a lonely afternoon or go shopping in a crowded shopping mall with all these people. Does he care about me? He must have felt like a tiny speck of dust in a nameless universe where no one sees, no one cares, and no one knows. It's like, you know what it's like? It's like Michael Scott on a swing when he goes to feed the pigeons. Caca, you know, sometimes to get perspective, I like to think of a spaceman on a star incredibly far away. And our problems don't matter to him because we're just a distant point of light. But he feels sorry for me because he has an incredibly powerful microscope and he can see my face. Only Abraham probably didn't believe in spacemen because Star Wars wasn't invented yet. So there he is sitting alone, feeling small. And then he hears a, a voice or sees a vision. Uh, verse 7 hints at that God himself walked up to him. The pre-incarnate Christ, some scholars believe, had the encounter with Abraham. So there he is, sitting alone, feeling small, and God says, I'm going to make you into a great nation. <laughs> that to me is the most impossible promise I've ever heard. I'm going to make you into a great nation. What? His wife's not able to have kids. He has a whimper and nephew. He's old. How? How? Simple. All God has to do is make a promise. That's it. Because he can do anything. He made a promise. Go to Hebrews 6, 13 and 14. It, it gives us the background. It gives us the insight of what's going on. And it's amazing because this is still happening today, but I'm not sure we believe this. Hebrews 6, 13 and 14. It says, for when God made a promise to Abraham, for when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, surely I will bless you and I will multiply you. So you can look at it like this. God, Abraham says, God, how can I trust you? God answers, because I swear to God I'm not lying. Now, wait a minute. Isn't it wrong to swear to God? It is for us because we can't make promises on behalf of God, but God can make promises on behalf of himself because he is God. So when God says, I swear to God, he's serious. And he can do it. He can fulfill anything. He sets his mind through it. In fact, you know, with, with his spoken word, he made the world. He can do anything. He can do anything. He did for Abraham. So if we go back to Genesis, Genesis 12, 1, verse actually 12, 4 says this man is 75 years old. We talked about that last week. So he gives a promise to a man who's 75 years old. So you can look at it like this. Here's just one man he made this promise to. Go ahead and click it. So there's one man, Genesis 12, 1. There's the promise. 
If you keep going, you get to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy, Moses is writing, and he's telling the story about how in Egypt, Joseph was in there, and they had 70 at that time. So there were 70 men. You can read that in Deuteronomy 10.22. Isaac, Jacob, went, they had their kin, and they went to Egypt to be rescued by Joseph. If you remember the story. Then you go to 2 Chronicles, and there's this guy named Solomon, and Solomon comes along and says, Lord, I need your help, because as I look at my people, there are as many as the sand and the stars in the heavens. God did it. So when Abram's looking up at the stars and God says, you're going to have as many children as that, oh, come on. Well, Solomon said, look, God, I looked over my people. There's as many people as the stars in the heavens. So the question for us, can he still do this? Can he still bless one person who trusts him. One rather meager person, as we said last week. Can he? Is the gift still to be had by the receiver? Can the receiver still accept this gift? And that's the question on the next slide. It's tricky. Because wasn't this a promise to Abraham or Abram? You may be saying that you aren't Abraham, you're not out looking up in the sky, hearing voices. You're just here at church by yourself. How can you be sure God is for you too? That he can do things for you or would want to. I have often read this. I remember when I was first believer, and I remember pastors would go to this Genesis and say, this is the most incredible. I said, but it's not written to me. It's written to Abraham. What do I have to do with him? I have nothing. To, he's a Jew. Lived 6,000 years ago or whatever. How, how does this have anything to do with me? What do I do with this? And so if it's only meant for Abraham, what's the point? It reminds me of the, one of the worst Christmases I ever had. It's terrible. All I got for Christmas was underwear and pajamas. It's one of those bad Christmases. Like, that's it? You know, you open up socks? Mom, seriously. Well, Chris, you really needed it. Santa knew. Mom, I don't want them. My sister got roller skates. She got a bike. She got an easy bake oven. And I got pajamas. And my dad said, Chris, did you look behind the tree? There's a gift. I opened it up. You know what it was? I couldn't believe it. It's what I wanted all year long. It was G.I. Joe with Kung Fu Grip. I got that. It was incredible. So the, my, my Christmas was bad because I didn't see all the gifts underneath the tree. Look closely at verse 3 again in Genesis 12. Let's read it in verse 2. Starting in verse 2, it says, we need to read the print really closely. And I will make you a great nation. It's talking to Abram. Okay, that one's for Abram. I will bless you and make your name great. That one's for Abram too so that you'll be a blessing. That's for Abram too. He was a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. That's really for Abram and the, the Hebrew nation. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. Again, this is where people say they're the chosen people based on this verse. Wait a minute. Here's, here's something else behind the tree. And in you, in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That word all is pretty big includes all. All the families of the earth shall be blessed. So through Abraham, all the people in the world will be blessed. That means this gift is given to everyone. So then the question keeps asking, but how? How? Well, as you read the Old Testament, there's this 
it's saying his people, so generations that were born from Abram, so you have like Isaac, Jacob, David, Solomon. It leads us all the way to the New Testament. We land in this really strange chapter, chapter 2 of Luke. Go to the New Testament, chapter 2 of Luke. I know you've heard this a hundred times, but you've got to hear it again and see it in context of what we've been saying. Matthew, Mark, Luke, chapter 2. So we come to Luke chapter 2, and we come to the story in verses 10 and 14. It's a story about a girl. The story, when you read it, it says this girl is a virgin and she's pregnant. So that should give us a clue this is not an ordinary story, because if you've gone to biology class, that shouldn't happen. It just shouldn't happen. And then she's got to go pay taxes, so she rides the donkey, which would be terrible. I, that's a really bad part of the story. She's got to go pay taxes. Why doesn't she just skip paying taxes? Like most of us do in here, you know, skip paying taxes. I'm kidding. You should pay taxes. Why does, so she goes to Bethlehem. She gives birth in a cow stall. <laughs> the story is not a good story. I mean, really. And then some greasy, smelly shepherds. I've been to Russia where they don't really bathe, and you can smell Beale a mile away. These shepherds had the smell. So the story stinks, literally. So these shepherds come over because they saw something in the sky. And it's written about here in Luke 2, verse 10. And the angel said to these shepherds, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news. I mean, this is something to rejoice about. Good news of great joy that will be for all the people, all the nations. That sounds strangely familiar. This is for all the people, all the nations. And then it says, the sign will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger, and suddenly there's an angel and a multitude, the heavenly host, praising God, saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace among those who he's pleased. It's exactly like in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So, it seems like the angels are repeating almost identical promise that was given to Abraham. And the, the blessing is very specific, as I read in verse 11 and 12. What is the blessing specifically? Verse 11 and 12 say, well, there's a baby born, and here's how you'll know. He'll be wrapped in swaddling clothing. So this, is the, this baby is the answer that was first given to Abraham, then to Mary, and then to... So this is the gift that's for you. This is the gift for all peoples, a baby, wrapped. And you might say, that's it? Yeah, that's the gift. This is the baby that was a promise to bring fame to Abraham. If you look at verse 33, or 23, verse 23 is talking about this baby. Luke 2 actually... Um, It is chapter 3, verse 23. Same book. Talking about this baby. They named this baby Jesus. 
Chapter 3, verse 23 says, Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age, being the son of Joseph, the son of Heli. And then verse 24 leads us in this genealogy that goes backwards. So it works from Jesus backwards. And it goes all the way down. You can read all these names. And then it comes to verse 34. Look at verse 34. This is Jesus' lineage. The son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham. So this baby is the biological descendant of Abraham. It's amazing because remember when God said, I'm going to make your name great? We're still talking about Abraham today. Right now we are fulfilling that specific promise that Abraham was given out in the night sky by God. This baby, I call him the Babel Buster. He came to bust Babel. He is the curse to every self-made man. That is why it is ironic people think Jesus has come to give you your best life now. No, he's come so you'll fall in love with the giver of the gift. Who's the best thing for you? So how do I receive, because some of you might be, okay, that's really nice. It's amazing how you linked it. How do I receive a baby that lived 2,000 years ago in the past? One of the most powerful verses in all of Scripture. Listen to this verse right here. To all who received him, remember the receiver just receives. To all who received him, to those who believe in his name. How do I receive that baby? I believe in his name. I Believe, meaning I put my hope, my trust, my life in his name. And if I do that, God gives that person who receives that baby the right to become a child of the living God. I become God's child through that baby. How are all the nations to be blessed through this baby, which was first promised to Abraham, if I believe this gift, I Become God's son. Now that's a blessing. So that's it, I just believe. Yep, you just receive a gift. Just believe it. And it, because it's a gift, remember, you don't buy your own gift. It's already bought and paid for for you. So... Here's the next question. How do I know that I have this gift? Specifically, how do I know that I can say that I'm a child of God? How do I know? Do you remember? Imagine, this is, this is how it's, this is how Scripture's designed. Imagine being Abraham, 75 years old, and God says, you're going to have as many kids in the stars of the sky. If I was Abraham in the moment, I'd say, God, you're crazy. You're crazy, but see, you and I have the benefit of what's called, we can retrospectively look. Well, Abraham, you'll have David and Solomon and all these people. We know that, but Abraham had no idea. So when I say to you, if you receive his name, you are a child of the living God, John says, you pass from death unto life, you'll have eternal life. You might be sitting in there and saying, how can I be sure? I don't see it. My body's wasting away. I don't see it. Because God promised. God can do anything He promises. 
That's the whole point. He destroyed Babel because men felt they had to do everything on their own. And God says, no, 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 no. I will do it. I will do it. Some of you have been trying to be Christian your whole life, wondering, you'll, you'll, you'll sleep at night going, am I really saved because I keep sinning? I do this. Have you just trusted? If I just trust the giver, the gift is mine. The gift is mine. But too many people push the gift away and say, you know what, I'm going to earn it on my own. I don't need it. <laughs> it's not grace. It's not a gift. If God turned a 75-year-old man into a great people, he can turn you, somebody from Kent City or Grant or Sparta, into a citizen of heaven. But remember, to possess the gift, you must want it. 